Howdy right, friends, welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. It is the Tonsillax pod. Used to be anyway. Escapingthecave.com, it's the website. Tonsillax.com is the old website. Tonsillax over at Substack. I posted something up there today. I wouldn't call it anything fresh and new. Actually, something I found that I had written, uh, I guess, about a year ago. Figure that's a good way to get back at the Substack, get back at the writing a little bit. Felt good to edit it. Felt good to add some things to it, massage it a little bit. The writing stuff kind of, it's a feeling. You know what I mean? In it, it just, it's nice. Haven't done it in a while. I'm your friendly host, Todd. I think this is episode number 104. Not 100% sure about that. I'm failing you. How's that for a start to a show? I am. I am failing you. Lately. I got fired from a job here in Michigan back in 2002. I earned the termination more than most people do when they get fired. I did earn it. No, you know, sour grapes here or anything like that. But I did get fired. And probably, I don't know, six months before the termination, I had a review done. I was not fired for performance-related issues. And the one thing that the guy wrote on my performance review was that I was one of the most, no, I think he said, actually, I was the most prepared air talent that they had ever worked with. And I came in and I had my shit ready to go each and every day. I knew what I was doing. They called it show prep. That's part of it anyway. There's more to it than that. I keep that thing and read it every now and then. In fact, I might have it framed one of these days. But I, yeah, I, I, I tend to over-prepare for stuff like this. I tend to, you know, get everything, get all my ducks in a row. I have not really a script. I don't typically script things out. Sometimes I'll write things out if I have something I want to say. I make sure that I, I w- I'm going to stay on course. I'll do that. But if I don't do that, if I don't prepare myself and have a clear idea of where I'm going to go, I'm not nearly as effective. Not the perfect broadcaster. I'm not the perfect entertainer. I critique myself all the time. There are a lot of things I'd love to change, and that's one of them. When I when I get going, I get off the map. Boy, I need a path back. <laughs> always have. Always have. So anyway, I, I try to prepare. I've always tried to prepare. And for the last, I don't know how long, I think since uh, probably Trump's rebellion on January 6th, and by the way, it's January 6th. We're not turning this into 1-6th like 9-11. I heard somebody on TV try to do that yesterday. No, we're going to call this January 6th. See, that's a tangent. That's what I'll typically do. And then I go on 15 minutes. I say, I, this would have been a point where I would have gone on 15 minutes about that. I yeah, Whatever. But ever since Trump's rebellion, I've been in a weird place, man. A really weird place. I know you can hear it. I know that uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a decent period of time, I've been doing the show now since the resurrection about three years. And uh, yeah, it's been weird. I've come in here every Sunday night between 10 and midnight. And I'll record overnight going into Monday and then release it early morning. And ever since that insurrection, whatever you want to call it, I'd come in here, and I have no idea where to go. I've got notes. I take notes all week. 
on topics, things that have happened, things that I might might want to talk about, I might want to write about. I've got a bunch of them here. Talking about the paternal tone of the media. That's a good one. Something nice to talk about, how they're always telling you how you should act, how you should behave, all this stuff. Seven minutes of terror. That's coming up this week. The big lie. Who the hell started that? Who branded whatever that was since the election? Who branded it the big lie? And why are they all saying it like, you know, the cool kids in a clique? Yeah, that kind of stuff. I've been looking at it. I come in, I, I have all the, all the material, and I'll sit down, and I'll, I'll be like, where I was, would just be taking notes and writing out bullet points, a roadmap for the show before, last summer, summer before that, where I was doing that, I just can't. It's now 3.28 in the morning. I've been sitting in here since 11.30. I finally, I got a bunch of crap here that's all over the place. Little notes, some printed up stuff, but I don't know where to go with it. I finally got the point. It's like, I'm getting, I feel myself deflating. And in the last couple of weeks, it's been like, you know, I would just like to not do this, but I'm not going to do that. Because if I do that now, before long, it's going to be April. That's, this is one of those, pe- one of those phases that I've gone through. Oh, I got to do that. <laughs> Sit down. I just like, you know what? Let's just keep talking to the people that if that's the case, let's just keep talking to the people. Let's figure this out. Maybe share a little bit <laughs> what's going on. And I'm having trouble talking about this for different reasons. I'm afraid to cut loose on the show right now because a part of me <laughs> wants to pick a side. I've t- I talked about this maybe last week, probably the last couple of weeks. And I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not 100% comfortable and 100% sure that I'm really making the right decision if I do that. And if I do, it's going to pivot this podcast in a completely different direction. Or maybe, maybe it'll return it to the summer of 2019. I don't know. But it's gurgled to the top of my mind. I'm aware of what it is that my mind is trying to do. And I'm trying to get a really good grip on it. Is this just because... I've been, you know, lathered up and agitated, or is this authentic? Is this something that I really want to concern myself with going forward? Most of the examples that I was using of the propaganda material back in 2019 were using woke flake examples. And I'm, of course, all the time, most of the time, 99% of the time, you can find a Trumpian uh, an example of pretty much everything I was talking about in 2019, I prefer to use the woke examples because they have set themselves up to be better than everybody else in this regard. Oh, we're only interested in democracy and truth type bullshit. And here's why. I'm also a reformed woke flake myself. Kind of. Kind of, sort of, in a way. Probably should get into that someday as well. But I yeah, I was never really into the hippiedom, but I was big time into the resistance for a little while. After Trump was elected, oh boy, for a month or two, goodness. It didn't take me long to figure out my, my wrong turn and then extract myself from the pretty much the left period once they started accommodating this, the extreme left. So anyway, I understand that. That was the last time I chose a side. 2016, 2017, about the time right after Trump's election leading up to his inauguration for a couple of months after I chose a side. Really chose a side. I had been against things, 
kind of had chose a side, but against, <laughs> you know, things like George W. Bush and uh, the Tea Party. I railed against those things, but I never really joined the Democrats, except for that little space of time after Trump was elected, up until shortly after his inauguration. That didn't work out well for me, and had to eat a little bit of crow, mostly my own crow, but I had to eat it <laughs> after I figured out my mistake and had to uh, readjust the sails, so to speak. I feel like I'm afraid that that's going to happen again. I feel it. Am I just getting sick of being batted around here in the middle with no place to land? Am I in the mood? Am I looking for that righteous fight myself, that righteous battle that I talk about a lot on the show? Am I looking for that myself? I might be. I don't know. But then I go online. Of course, it's online. Nobody's going outside much these days. That doesn't help. Probably should talk about that, too. But then I go, you know, online and I'll find something talking about how whiteness has to be demilitarized. And cancel culture, people getting fired for crap that they posted on Twitter five years ago. I don't think that this is just a sort of a propaganda ideology rebound situation here. I need to be sure. I need to be really sure. That's taking up a lot of the mental uh, faculties. And, and quite honest with you, up until January the 6th, all of these ideas that I've been putting out towards you, talking about the threats to democracy, the tribalism, how we're you know, in danger of ripping ourselves to shreds, it was all abstract. I felt pretty good about that stuff. I felt good about the ideas. Put them through every filter I could think of, despite everybody uh, not everybody, but a lot of people were like, oh, you're just being cynical, Todd. Why don't you put on your, your happy hat, your optimistic glasses? Why don't you wear those glasses, Todd? They're awfully thick at this point in time. I understand, but you should wear them anyway. Put on a happy face. Heard that a lot. <laughs> I really did. And, uh, you know, I tried, and I, 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 I put it through all that. And I'm like, okay, maybe I am just being cynical. Maybe I'm being negative. Maybe I'm being a fatalist. Could be. Could never find a path to that. I wanted to. I wanted to believe that maybe I was just wrong about all this. That maybe we're better than this. Really did. Tried to get there. Couldn't do it. But, despite that, it was all an abstract idea. It was all like a math formula on a chalkboard. Or maybe a basketball play that the coach is drawing up on the, on the chalkboard on the sideline. Right? Just abstract. Still something I believed in. Still something I, I, I checked all my work. All the equations came out. Forwards, backwards, everything. But up until January 6th, it was not real. Something happened. When I watched all of this unfolding on my couch, something happened that day where it became real. It's like, oh, you might have been right about this, Todd. What exactly does that mean? I, I honestly think that I never thought about that. It never became anything that was real. In my head, despite the mathematical formulas coming out, it wasn't real. 
until January 6th. I've been watching the coverage and the footage and all the stories that have come out, a lot of propaganda, a lot of spin, official narratives, you know, proud boys of the new Al-Qaeda, that kind of thing. Not really going to talk about the veracity of all that right now, but I've been watching some of this stuff and uh, the hang Mike Pence stuff. Like, yeah, I think they would have. I think they would have hung him. They would have hung Mitt Romney if not for that cop. AOC? What have they done to her? They would have. I got to think about that and I'm like, wow, what, what would that have meant? What would that have meant had they been able to get through that one cop, that Goodman cop? I think that was his name. I should get his name right. I'm, I'm almost sure it's Goodman. But if they had uh, happened to get through him, he hadn't fooled him or whatever, what would have happened had that mob run into Mitt Romney in the hallway. What would have happened if that mob had run into Mike Pence and his family in the stairwell, in the tunnels? What would have happened? Does anybody know? Does anybody really want to think about that? Does anybody really want to know what would have happened? Could this have been a mass casualty event? Would they have killed multiple members of Congress, if they had gotten the chance that day. You know, I know that uh, everybody likes to laugh at the shaman guy. What would have happened if he'd gotten his hands on Mike Pence? What would the goofy shaman have done? I wonder. Anyway, over the last few weeks, last month, that's become unsettlingly real to me. I know nothing's happened since then. It's been real quiet. Had an impeachment this week. Ooh, another one. Yay, us. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But it's been quiet since uh, the 6th. I haven't seen too much since then. Anything, really. Uh, do you think it's over? Do you really think it's over? March 4th, is it? Is that the date that QAnon's using now that they still expect Trump? Somehow they still expect... I, I, you can go find the conspiracy stuff here yourself. But they still think that Donald Trump's going to be president next month. In a couple of weeks, they're waiting for the force. So I hear my little little radar going up. It's like, I wonder what's going to happen on the fourth. Huh. But if it doesn't happen on the fourth, something is happening at some point. I keep hearing Malcolm Nance from last year that we're going to have an insurgency. Here in the United States, a military insurgency, an Iraqi-style insurgency here in the United States. And Trump's folks, Trump's people are going to be militarized. It doesn't matter if you believe it, if they believe it. The, the veracity, the truthfulness of what I'm about to say does not matter. All you need is doubt. Remember, all you need is doubt. Doubt. Doubt is all you need. His people believe to the core of their being and the marrow of their bones, they believe that that election was stolen from Donald Trump, therefore stolen from them. They believe this. They have let him convince them. They, they have let themselves come to believe it. It doesn't matter how or why. It doesn't matter. The reason doesn't matter. The reason they believe this does not matter. It only matters that they do because 
If you are a patriotic American, you love your country, you love democracy, if that's your foundational myth, if that's the narrative that gathers you around the flag, and you think your democracy and your country was stolen from you, you are now in a battle against evil. A manifested cultural evil. It's not just some abstract concept of socialism. This is real. This is tangible. This is something that has stolen your government away from you. What would you not do in a legitimate battle against evil? What's off the table here? This impeachment? <laughs> oh, goodness. I, um, I have stuff. This impeachment has has only made things worse. I'm not I'm not blaming them for doing it. I am not blaming them for the impeachment. I'm not I'm blaming I'm not blaming them. They had to do it. If again, <laughs> they're right. If this isn't an impeachable offense, if what happened on January 6th, if what he did and the people he surrounded himself with, Giuliani, a guy from Alabama, whatever his fuck, Mo Brooks, is that his name? The association with, let's have trial by combat, prior to what happened at the Capitol, being associated with that, being on stage with that, in my mind, in my view, in my not-so-humble opinion, (laughs) if that kind of stuff isn't impeachment-worthy, you may as well get rid of impeachment right now. I'm so sick and tired of hearing how this was the most bipartisan impeachment vote ever. You got seven fucking people. Don't sit there breaking your arm, patting yourself on the back. Come on. But here's the thing that really pisses me off about this. Nothing happened that nobody expected. Everybody expected it to go just the way that it did. This is the only court in America, apparently, where it's okay to be part of the jury and already have the verdict in your mind and grant it before the trial ever takes place. Whoever conceived the idea that the jury should be made up of partisans whose political party has a vested interest, is this not a conflict of interest? Why isn't that in front of the Supreme Court? Why isn't the Supreme Court deciding these things? Why is it left to a bunch of partisans in Congress? I mean, if you come to the, met the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors, if you got to the point where you are actually being impeached, it's only happened four times in the history of our country. <laughs> Twice this guy. So two other times. One was Nixon. I forget the other one. Andrew Jackson or I don't whatever it was. Johnson? But why are you leaving this in the hands, in the hands of people who, who belong to the accused's party or the prosecution's? Shouldn't this be in front of the Supreme Court? Or, in this case, maybe it would have been better to have anonymous votes. So people with these constituencies, the constituency mob that I talked about in another episode, they don't know how their representative voted. 
They can't sit there and hold the noose over their head. You didn't vote how I demanded you vote. We're going to primary your ass now. And something like impeachment, should that really be a factor? Are we leaving this up to the American people? Is this a direct democracy situation where the people, oh, the people will decide the fate of the president's by putting their de facto hands around their representative's neck. Is that what this is? It's what it felt like. When you already believe, you already have in your head how you're going to vote before you even hear the first argument. <laughs> it's a mockery of a, of a court system. I know it's an impeachment. I know it's not a legal process. It's a political process, blah, 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 blah. But... In a country that supposedly loves its democracy and its system of justice. It's a ridiculous example to set. Don't you think? So is that how this is going to go? Is everything now going to be decided where what the constituents think is going to be how I'm going to... Are you a leader or a follower? Are you a, I'm a leader because look how I have to follow my, my constituents. There's a, a saying. I can't remember how it goes. <laughs> Of course I follow my constituents. I'm their leader. (laughs) It's like this weird contradiction of leadership. Do you lead the flock or do you do what the flock asks you to do? Well, if you're doing what the flock asks you to do all the time, you are not a leader. You're a puppet. I expect my leaders, I expect our leaders to lead better than we can. They know things we don't know. I just assume that. But somehow, millions and millions of people on both sides of the aisle, no matter where your ideological loyalties lie, wherever your religious beliefs, your politically religious beliefs lie, it doesn't matter. Millions and millions and millions of us have this concept of democratized opinion where what I think, what we think, what the people think, these ignorant people who know a fraction of what's going on, a fraction of the information, have a fraction of the information that their representatives have, understand how things work to a fraction of the degree that the representatives do. They think they... No better than everyone. You gotta listen to what I say. You agree work for me. It's how you get some some redneck cracker ass sitting in Pelosi's desk with his feet kicked up there. This is my desk. We just let her. You know, fuck you. You're a man with an overinflated sense of what we the people really are. I've been hearing. Walter Lippmann's imagined voice in my head all week. The Phantom Public. I never dissected that book for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) The people don't know a damn thing. And this myth, this myth that the people somehow get more intelligent when they vote as a collective, like there's going to be this herd mentality genius that somehow oozes through the ballot box. (laughs) Mobs are stupid. You take the average human being, mobs are like 30% dumber than that. Now, is that illegitimate? Is that a factual statement that I just made? I don't know. Pretty close. (laughs) Mobs are fucking stupid. People are uninformed. The nation 
gets his news from social media or from one of three propaganda networks designed and tailored to their ideological taste. They're not informed to begin with, and what they are informed by are systems of for-profit propaganda. Yet somehow I'm supposed to believe, and we are supposed to believe, and we are supposed to follow the practice. <laughs> Saying that somehow when people get together and start voting, they become more intelligent, and there's going to be some sort of organic, or fucking organic herd genius. Come on. And even if that were the case, let me ask you this. If we were living in, in, in some system where direct democracy was put in place, how do you expect that to work? When you go to court to decide something, when you go into a court of law to decide something, when you go on a witness stand and you start to present information to a jury, there are perjury laws. We saw all of this at work over the fall after the election where Rudy Giuliani was hired as an attorney for the court of public opinion, where he could jump in front of cameras and say anything he wants because he is litigating for the public, for you, not for the court. He's litigating with the understanding that his words are going to be rebroadcast around the country later. Doesn't matter that the judge is going to laugh him out of the courtroom. The people at home, the real targets of the litigation won't care. They're only going to believe what they hear from you, and that's the point. This is what we saw Trump do all week. He already knew this was a show trial. It was a backwards show trial. The ones putting on the show were the defendants. And they did it incredibly well. But going back to my original point, if we're going to have direct democracy where everybody gets to pressure their uh, uh, representatives to vote how they passionately feel they should, or else we're going to primary you, if that's how this is going to go, then where are the equivalent perjury laws in place where the, the, the material that you're consuming, the information that you're digesting and gorging upon are factual so you want to be free. You want to have unfiltered information. You want to be able to go and find, freely find any trash you want to, any trash you can call truth. And you want to be able to vote as, uh, come to a, a verdict as part of the jury based on intentionally cultivated horseshit. We the people. Are you serious? If we were to ever, ever presume to be a direct democracy, a direct democracy, this country would collapse in a month because there are no truth guardrails in place. The only thing in place, the only informational system and structure that's in place right now is a for-profit boutique news system. It's for-profit. It's corporate profit. It is a product put in front of you designed to appeal to your ideological beliefs, your religion. That's it. They'll call it truth all day long, but you can tell by watching it. 
Maybe you can't tell watching your brand's propaganda, but all you got to do is flip over to theirs and you'll see it instantly. And the, the giveaway is that they're doing the same thing when those guys flip over to your propaganda. They can't watch it any more than you can watch Hannity or any more than you can watch Meadow. Yes, I know. You think your side's giving it to you straight. Well, so do they. So do those people that attack the Capitol. Who's right? So you want to live in a direct democracy. You want to be able to tell your representatives, who are more, far more informed than you are, how to vote on every single thing. You have an opinion on every single thing, right? What do you know about all these things you actually have your opinion on? And where did you get the information from? Are you sure they weren't loading the information, pushing it in a certain direction? Or maybe you liked that. Yeah, we the people. We the people should decide everything. Well then, then we need to have that parallel perjury law in place. And applied, somehow applied to the for-profit media. That means we have to find a ministry of truth. There's no, uh, no good solution here. I feel like I got off track there. I don't know if I did. But if I did, I'm, I'm going to go back to the impeachment. I feel like that's what I was talking about back there. But this was a show trial. I didn't watch too much. I, I, I should have. Uh, it's historic. I didn't watch it, uh, really all that much of the uh, prosecution, I guess. The house managers putting their case out there. I know here there's a lot of you know unique video. I did watch um, some of Trump's defense, though. Uh, I think that was, what, Friday, right? And the first thing that came to mind was, well, yeah, this is effective. You got to keep in mind who they were talking to. Those videos that were run in Congress on Friday, all of those videos, you can say what you want about them. They were not directed at the jury. They already knew how the jury was going to vote. They also knew that they had a multi-network audience live where they could put anything on television that they wanted to. They couldn't be interrupted because this was a quote-unquote court proceeding. So they could put together this propaganda video showing all these Antifa riots, all these BLM riots from last year. No problem. Who's going to stop them, right? They have free reign. Democrats did the same damn thing. That was a propaganda presentation as well. Because they knew as well how this trial was going to turn out before they even started it. So again, we saw it on display all week. These were both presentations put on for you. For you. The court of public opinion. In this, nobody under oath, nobody actually had to go on the stand or be deposed under penalty of perjury. This was a show trial. A propaganda show trial. That's it. Again, in no way does a legitimate trial ever consist of jurors determined to either acquit or convict before it even begins. 
Trump chose his media lawyers because the only litigation that mattered this week was before the court of public opinion. He needed show attorneys for the show trial. Trial was more of a media event, a live propaganda media opportunity than a government procedure. Partisanship has destroyed any and all objectivity inside of Congress. Except for maybe six or seven Republicans, but they're, <laughs> they're, oh boy, seven out of how many? 50? Seven against 43. Wow. Creep. Take a look around, you know you got it. Around sees you, it's gonna end. Take your chances, try to keep it. Chances are everything is gonna get fucked. Phoenix, Albuquerque, all you can think about is me, me, me. Everywhere you go, it's all about you. Got a dinner with Lucy up there in Peru. This was your chance to sort of lance the boil, wasn't it? Let him and his uh, QAnon followers go off and do something. I talked about this uh, 10 years ago. I railed against this 10 years ago. I, I implored any Republican who was listening to renounce the Tea Party in 2009-2010. I still see, I can still trace it. I can trace it from uh, the Tea Party to Sarah Palin. You remember uh, Michelle Bachman? Who's that other woman? The, uh, the one who, who proclaimed herself a witch. Oh, what was her name? I forget her name. But it kept getting a little crazier and a little crazier. And then when John Boehner was run out, Eric Cantor, you remember him? He got primary. The party got a little nuttier. A little nuttier. A little nuttier. And pretty soon, here comes Donald Trump. Donald Trump happened about four years after, who was it, McCain? No, it wasn't McCain. Mitt Romney. Not romped. By Obama. In 2012, right? You remember what the Republican Party was saying after that? We need to have a real conversation about the party. We need to look within ourselves. Four years later, Donald Trump. Missed the opportunity again this week. To lance the boil again. I've said on this podcast before, Donald Trump isn't as bad as it gets. He's not. You had a chance to get rid of him. You had a chance to make him ineligible to run for president. I don't know that that would have solved anything. He's not that young. I'd be more concerned about what's following him, but whatever. Either way, had you gathered your wagons, you could have ejected him from the party. Let him take his wing nuts and go start another political party if he wants to. You could have done that instead. Instead, you handed him the reins. So now it's going to be the sensible Republicans who, if they want to remain viable, they're going to have to either acquiesce to the extremism or they're going to have to leave, form their own party. Maybe go join the libertarians, I guess. I don't know. You see Mitt Romney as a libertarian? 
they going to become Democrats? I don't think so. I think AOC and uh, Mitt Romney, like oil and water. She's so far to the left that even a right-leaning centrist, like Romney, like matter and antimatter. But you had your chance to do that this week, and you have failed. So now the Republican Party is Donald Trump's party. They may as well name it the Trump Party. You martyred him as well. (laughs) He's been martyred again. And every time you think you got him, every freaking time, Russia, 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 then the the, the Ukraine, what was it? Ukraine gate or whatever it was. (laughs) Hunter gate, that's what we'll call it. Didn't get him there. Oh, we got him this time. Whatever you say you got, you never got him. He's like an eel. You can't grab him. Why is that? But you managed to martyr him again. You managed to rile up the batshit base he has behind him. To rally them around his flag even more because you failed in another impeachment attempt. And we saw this coming after, um, right after the 6th. Ronna McDaniel, Ronna Romney McDaniel, I think she's the woman who, who runs the RNC or is in charge of the RNC, the chairwoman, whatever she is. Uh, the RNC had a meeting like a week or two after the, 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 the uh, uh, riots. And they were kissing his ring. The RNC was, that should have been a sign to us that <laughs> this isn't going to change, man. And McCarthy goes down there. Lindsey Graham, uh, Jesus. The QAnon wing. Kissing his ring. It's a natural progression. From 2009-2010, the anti-intellectualism, the increased fanaticism, fueled by just a flat-out disgust for the far left. This is a process, and it's not over. Donald Trump is not as bad as it gets. You've almost guaranteed yourself we already know pretty much, right, who the Republican nominee is going to be or where it's coming from in 2024, barring some miraculous turnaround between now and then, some miraculous manifestation of Joe Biden's kumbaya moment. I'll believe it when I see it. Now the Democrats want to take up gun control. Should go well. Huge missed opportunity. The Republicans could have amputated the gangrene limb this week, but uh, they didn't. They preferred the short-term solution of accommodating fanatics. Trumpism. Trumpism is the Republican Party now. The Tea Party model continues. Does the clear lesson that extremism has no limits. We are nowhere near it, whatever that limit is. That limit probably smells a lot like the thin veneer of civilization. That was pretty much all ad-libbed. Looked at one page of notes. 
anger, compassion, altruism, and frustration. Some notes I had there. Also, pandemic and how that's affecting me. Something I didn't get to. It is. Maybe I'll get to that next time. I'm not going to tell you I'm going to do another episode this week. I'm not going to tell you that this time, because I never do, but I might. EscapeTheCave.com, ToddZillX.com for the old travel stuff. What's past me be prologue. You never know. Hey, I'll throw some more stuff up on Substack. That's ToddZillX over there. ToddZillX at gmail.com. If you'd uh, like to shoot me an email. If you'd like to take part in the conversation. Oh, <laughs> ah, who knows? I do appreciate you clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long. <laughs>